Welcome back to the G Truth, the one and only good truth with your host, myself, Giovanni Canales. Like I said before, I'm going to be doing this on camera for YouTube. So just bear with me if I, you know, look around a bit. Because really it's just me gathering my thoughts. Just gathering my thoughts. That's, that's really all I'm doing. But I'm returning back to the NFL. I'm going to be talking more about the NFL, especially with the, well, preseason coming up really soon. And then the regular season, of course, coming up right after that. So I got some topics. I got some Baker Mayfield comments on Hugh Jackson wanting revenge, all that stuff. I got some over-under predictions. And I got the e- Ezekiel Elliott contract talks. And I got to throw in some basketball. You know me. I got to throw in some basketball because I love basketball. So I got some Russell Westbrook uh, fit into Houston Rockets topic discussion right there. So let's hop right into it. All right. So now I'm going to talk about Baker Mayfield news. And it was all brought to light, mainly because he's Baker Mayfield. He's a quarterback entering his second year. That's the main reason why it's being brought to light. A lot of attention around it, around his comments on Hugh Jackson saying, you know, in that first matchup when he left us, I, it's only human nature to want revenge. And he wanted revenge. But in order to understand all this, we got to go back to uh, Baker Mayfield's quote-unquote past problems. So there was... The, the crotch grabbing, of course, against Kansas and probably against some other teams. Uh, there was public intoxication that got caught on video. Um, you probably saw Colin Cowherd him getting you know tackled by some police, which is kind of funny. Um, but from all of it, for well, at least for the public intoxication, for for uh, yeah, especially the public, especially for the public in, intoxication, he apologized for it and he learned from it, and that's really really important. He apologized and learned from it. He's not that type of guy. Now for the crotch grabbing, planting the flag, um, taking revenge after Kansas players refused to shake his hand, which ultimately which ultimately led to the crotch grabbing, of course. That that all comes from a competitive spirit, from a competitive spirit, and I love that. I love that because I have the exact same thing. I don't go to that extent of crotch grabbing or all that stuff, but I do trash talking. I do the occasional. Um, pointing or something like that. I don't point because that's... I mean, the Chris Paul and Ray John Rondo fiasco. I mean, that's obviously why you don't point. But I love that about him, where he has that competitive spirit because it pushes him to greatness. And it's viewed as a problem because he's not the stereotypical QB who's uh, quiet, who has to lead by example. Not Not necessarily a vocal leader, but by example... Uh, as a friend to teammates like Tom Brady, is more calm, cool, and collected, and focused on football only. He he's more of the opposite, where he's loud. He's a vocal leader. He leads by charisma and action and energy. He's a friend, but you got to be all in, or or you're not his friend. Just like Duke Johnson, and that's where that whole thing devolved. Where he was like, hey, you're my bud, but you got to be all in on this team or not. Because we're trying to win. He's focused on everything instead of focused only on football. He he wants to know everything, wants to learn everything. Use it as fuel for himself to go against other teams for that spark. And like I said, it was seen in, in the first encounter with Hugh Jackson leaving the Browns and going to the... Cincinnati Bengals, where you had that infamous stare down. 
loud, energetic. That same thing, all in or out. He felt betrayed. He's focused on everything. He's in the moment. He's not focused only on football. He's focused on everything. And I think that's good. You just can't let it get too far. But the problem is no one talks about the other things that happen too. We only talk about Baker Mayfield Mayfield because he's the quarterback and he doesn't fit that stereotypical mold. We don't talk about who it is. is, um, Joel Batonio, who said, Hugh went back to the enemy. So the whole team saw it as, hey, you got to be all in or, or you're not with us. You're either with us or you're not. And Hugh Jackson was not with them. He went to, quote unquote, what Joel Batonio said, the enemy. Same thing with Demarius Randall. He had that same feeling as, as Baker Mayfield and Joel Batonio. Hey, Hugh Jackson went to the enemy. He went to the enemy. And we saw that when he intercepted the ball from, I believe, Andy Dalton. He rushed over to the Cincinnati Bengals sideline and handed the ball to Hugh Jackson. I mean, Hugh Jackson was part of the Cincinnati Bengals. That wasn't a sign of respect. That was more of a, not necessarily disrespect, but kind of like a shove in the face saying, hey, you left us. This is what you get. But Baker Mayfield has every right to be upset. He's a vocal leader. And he has the right to express his feelings, of course. And by doing that, by him being betrayed by, or feeling betrayed by Hugh Jackson and not having Duke Johnson be all in, it, it builds up the team energy. It increases it. That fighting spirit, it all increases it. So that they have more momentum, more motivation going into the season. I honestly have no problem with his comments. I honestly have no problem with it. If it came, if it came from Tom Brady, it'd be a bit abnormal because that's not Tom Brady. It came from Aaron Rodgers. It's a bit abnormal. But this is Baker Mayfield. This is who he is. He's not that stereotypical QB who you want him to be. He's his own person. And by him doing all this, all it does is fuel up the team. Because they need that motivation going into this next season. His second season to get into the playoffs. And I believe that he's fueling them up with that ship on their shoulder. Because he, he's always had that ship on his shoulder. Going from walk-on to NFL. But he, got, but he was picked first. So he needs to add or manufacture another ship on his foot. On his shoulder. Just like Tom Brady. Tom Brady does this the same year. Every single year. He hears people saying he's old. Alright, I'm going to win I'm gonna win another Super Bowl. Another Super, another Super Bowl is on the way. So, all this is, is Baker Mayfield doing the exact same thing. Just in a different way. He's firing his team up. He's firing himself up. Building that momentum. Building that motivation. That ship on the shoulder. To go into this next season to lead his team to the playoffs. Alright, so next topic is obviously going to be over-under predictions. My over-under predictions. So, these are all based off according to points bet. So, you can go check it out, make your own predictions, all that stuff. But I'm going to start off with one of the ones that I think is kind of close. Kind of close, almost there. But I think it's just not quite there. And that's the Packers. The Green Bay Packers. They're over-under Bet line is 9.5 wins. 9.5 wins. Now, for me, this is kind of tough because, you know, Aaron Rodgers, he's great, but he hasn't been to the playoffs in quite some time. He hasn't had that winning record in quite some time. You can say, 
uh, Mike McCarthy contributed to that failure, and he probably did, but it's also a bit of Aaron Rodgers. But he has a new head coach, Matt LaFleur, to Torrey's Achilles while playing basketball, which is kind of unfortunate, obviously. But I still have him going under 9.5 wins, probably near that 9-win mark, 8 wins. But yes, you can look at the schedule and say, okay, they play Chicago twice. They probably split that, so that's one win right there. They probably split the Minnesota uh, two-game stretch, and then also they probably beat Detroit in both of their matchups. That's four wins right there. And then they have Denver. They probably win that, so that's five. Philadelphia, probably lose that. Dallas, maybe lose that. Oakland, they're going to win that, let's be honest. Kansas City, not really. Chargers, not really. Carolina, maybe it's up in the air. San Francisco, maybe it's up in the air. It was a really close game last season with um, C.J. Beathard, I believe, starting. I think it might have been C.J. Beathard, but really close. And then New York, probably going to win that. And Washington, probably probably going to win that. So that's around 9-10. So it's like right there. But I think that the main thing why I have them only getting to 9 wins, under 9.5 wins, 9 or 8 wins, is because it's a new form of... It's a new coach with a new scheme. And Aaron Rodgers has a lot of bad habits built up. And it's going to take time to to remove those bad habits if he really, really wants to. There's going to be times during the season where he's going to revert back to them when it matters the most. And he's going to be like, this is all I know. And I don't want to rely on that when it matters the most. So it's going to be breaking some of the habits. And if there's any point in the season where they start losing like two-game or three-game loss or losing streak, he's probably going to be like, Hey, this uh, th- this new Matt LaFleur coaching does not work. His new schemes, his plays don't work. So I'm going to go back to what I know and what I know best. And that's the reason why I have him under. Now for the LA Chargers, their over-under is at 9.5, the same as the Green Bay Packers. But I have them over. And let's be honest. Who in their right mind would bet the Chargers under? It's a guaranteed over. Well, I wouldn't say guaranteed, but it's pretty close to guaranteed. Pretty close to guaranteed. And I don't, I don't need to look at the schedule for this. They play against the Raiders twice. They're gonna win that. Broncos twice. They're gonna win that. Probably split against, split with the uh, Chiefs. So that's like five wins right there, all within the division. And then they'll, they'll win some outside of the division because they're great. They're great. They got all the pieces right there. And based off last season, they're they're probably thinking, hey, if we had home field advantage against the New England Patriots, that game probably could have gone a lot different. Probably doesn't end up being a butt whooping. And they probably don't play the Patriots early on. They probably play whoever the Chiefs played. It was such a blowout that, oh, the Colts, that's what it was. And they play against the Colts and they probably win that and they go to the conference championship. To play against the Chiefs or the Patriots. So I think that they probably want to make that push for the division title guaranteed playoff spot. Don't don't have to play an extra game and try to go for that first round bye. Now for the Philadelphia Eagles. Their over-under is at 10. And it's a tricky one, but I have them over. Let me pull up their schedule really quickly. But just... Just off the top of my head, they play against the Eagles. I mean, not playing. They play against the Giants. There you go. 
They play against the Giants. That's two wins right there. They play against the Redskins. That's two wins right there. And then they play against the Dallas Cowboys. They probably split that. So that's five wins right there. They're playing against Atlanta, Detroit, Green Bay within the first four weeks. Yeah, they're winning those. Then, then they play against New York. They're winning that. Minnesota, maybe winning that. They play against Buffalo. They're winning that. They play against Chicago, maybe not winning that. New England, Seattle, Miami, New York, Washington, Dallas, New York. That's all their schedule right after the bye week. They're, they're, they're getting to 10 wins pretty easily. I know that Carson Wentz is coming off injury, struggling last season with Nick Foles taking over, but I think that now that Nick Foles is not there, he doesn't have to worry about that presence or pressure looming over him, and he can just go back to his old self. He'll struggle at times, definitely he'll struggle at times, but it'll be a lot better, and they'll definitely get to 10 wins pretty easily. Or over it, actually. Probably 11 wins. 11 or 12 wins, actually. Next, I have the Baltimore Ravens. The over-under line is at 8.5, and this all depends on Lamar Jackson. Does he develop the accuracy and consistency of an actual quarterback over this offseason, translating it into the regular season? And I say no. Maybe just one more year, and then they'll get there. Their defense is still good. They lost some pieces, but they're still a good defense. But... They have Pittsburgh in their in, in their uh, division. They have the Browns in their division. They have, well, I, I want to say the Bengals, but they're going to beat the Bengals. It's it's hard for me to say that they're going to get to 8.5 wins or over 8.5 wins when I can already see them losing against the Browns and the Steelers. Splitting those, it's not great because then that, that gets you to four wins um, from... The Bengals. Just within the division. Four out of eight. It's not great within the division. So for that reason, I have them going under. It all depends on Lamar Jackson. I think defenses know how to stop him a bit more based off that uh, LA Chargers playoff game. And they have a lot more tape of him now. So it's going to be a bit easier to stop him. And a bit harder for him to actually get stuff done. Next, I have the Cleveland Browns, the one that everyone has been waiting for for so long. I'm pulling up their schedule right now. And it's pretty interesting. The schedule is pretty interesting. They have a really nice last, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Last ten weeks after the bye. After the bye week, they, they have New England. They're probably going to lose that. It's going to be really, really close coming off a of bye week because they're going to have time to prep for that. Time to rest for that, prep for that, all that stuff. But then but then they have Denver, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Miami, Pittsburgh again, Baltimore, Cincinnati, Arizona, and they finish off the season with Cincinnati. Those last ten games, they're winning probably eight of those. They they lose against New England and they lose against Pittsburgh one of those games. But they and all the rest of them, they beat Denver, they beat Buffalo, they beat Pittsburgh in one of those two games, they beat Miami, they beat Cincinnati in both of those games, so that's six wins right there, and then they beat Arizona, and then they beat Baltimore. That's eight wins right there in the last half of the season. Eight wins in the last ten games. So right there, over-under is at nine, they're already at eight, 
And I don't think that they're going 0-6 to start off with. I think they're getting to 10 wins. There's going to be some turmoil there. And the only reason why I have them going this far, and you can say, hey, but you have the Packers losing, going under 9.5 wins, and you have the Browns going over 9.0 wins. Why? And I think part of it's the reason why is that I just think that the Browns have the talent there. And unlike the Packers, Freddie Kitchens was already there. He was the, he was the running back coach for the Browns early on, moved up to the offensive coordinator, and now up to the head coach rather than Matt Floor, who's kind of just dropped right in there. So I think that they already got the chemistry all there. And I think that now they're pushing towards more of a cohesiveness, a cohesive offense offense and they're blending Odell Beckham into it and I don't think it's gonna be much of a problem there's gonna be some turmoil early on but aside from that I think it's gonna be pretty nice and neat and clean all right now for the Houston Rockets Westbrook James Harden how does that all fit now obviously I was wrong in my last uh segment I think last week talking about where should Westbrook go I said that there was no possibility of him going to Houston, and guess what? He landed in Houston. So obviously I was wrong there, and I accept it. I'm not going to try to weasel my way out of it. I accept I was wrong. It's just that for me, it made no sense. It made no sense for them to fit together. I, I, shocked, it up, I, I shocked it up as impossible because the, the fit's not there. It's just Houston trying to cram two players together that have a pass, but it's not going to happen. It's not going to work. It happened, but it's not going to work. James Harden and Russell Westbrook are the two highest in usage rate and ISO ball play in the whole league. They're the two highest. They both won MVP. But you cannot put those two together. It's not a Steph Curry and KD mixture. Steph and KD, their egos were not, their egos and personalities were not enhanced by winning MVP. Russell Westbrook and James Harden's MVPs enhanced their personalities and egos. Steph and KD, when they linked up, former MVPs linking up together, it was after Steph Curry had blown the 3-1 lead to LeBron and Cleveland. And he was like, hey, I need some help. I need some extra help. I messed up. I need that extra player around. So it was out of a need. James Harden's like, hey, I don't want Chris Paul. I don't want him. I'm throwing him away. And I want. I, I want Russell Westbrook because we played before. We played together before. So I want someone that I know. Steph Curry put his ego aside. Humbled himself a bit. And, and said, hey, I'm going to share the rock with KD. He's going to blend right in. Steph is not an ISO player. He's uh, moving around off the ball, catch and shoot, created his own shot sort of player. Not an ISO ball player. Unlike Russell Westbrook and James Harden, who need the rock to score. In their hands, 24-7. And plus the Warriors already had Steve Kerr and his system, his ball movement system, moving the rock around in place for quite some time. For like two or three years by then. Two years. Yeah, two years. And at that point... Kevin Durant was willing to do whatever it takes because at that point he was like, "Hey, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna win with Russell Westbrook. I can win with the Warriors. I can win with them. So I'm gonna do whatever it takes to make sure I win." But I just don't see that happening. 
I don't see that happening with Russell Westbrook and James Harden because at this point, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You can't teach a do- an old dog new tricks. They both are accustomed to how they've played. Their MVPs have enhanced the way that they play and have more uh, stabilized and and uh, promoted how they play and, and make, made them think it's it's all right. I can play this way. I can hold the ball for like 20 seconds and then just jack up a shot. Yes, on the Thunder, it worked. Because they had Kevin Durant there who could be kind of a buffer between two ball stoppers. And they were young, so they were meshing together pretty nicely. But they've grown separately. And at this point, they cannot learn to ditch their old ways and conform to a new way. As much as they want to, they will not change their playing style for each other. When Kevin Durant joined the Warriors, he was young. He was still fairly young, and so he could still learn, and he had that motivation to learn. I'm not sure if James Harden and Russell Westbrook have that motivation. And even if they do have that motivation, it all comes down to Mike D'Antoni then. And his system won't work for Russell Westbrook. It works for prolific scorers off the dribble like James Harden. It works for great passers or great point guards like Steve Nash. It works for three-point shooting like Chris Paul, P.J. Tucker, Trevor Ariza, Eric Gordon, and a good center. Capella, they got some of the pieces there, but it doesn't work with Russell Westbrook. It's a three-point shooting system for someone who cannot shoot the three that well. It's almost like putting Ben Simmons into this offense. It just won't work. It just won't work. You're trying to make someone who doesn't shoot the three well, but will shoot them. Will shoot them, unlike Ben Simmons. Try to shoot more threes and actually make them. But ultimately, Russell Westbrook and James Harden can't and won't change. They won't. They're too far set in their ways. Whether it's dribble, 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 step back, step back, travel, step back, and then jack up a shot with 20 seconds left, with uh, 4 seconds left on, on the shot clock, or pass it to someone else so that, so that they can jack up a shot so you don't ruin your field goal percentage. Or Russell Westbrook, who is dribble, 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 shoot a bad mid-range shot and clank it, and... Or I'm just going to go to the hoop and miss a layup. Or I'm going to go to the hoop and just hand it off to whoever's there. They're too much of an iso ball-centric team and playing style. And not enough ball movement for both of them to fit together. You saw it with Chris Paul. Chris Paul was trying to trying to get the offense going. And James Harden would, would be camping out at half court just not being involved in the play. The same thing's going to happen. Same thing's going to happen with Russell Westbrook. Because I'm pretty sure that originally Chris Paul and James Harden were, you know, kind of good friends. But then that started deteriorating as soon as they saw how each other played. And they both didn't like it. The same thing's going to happen with Russell Westbrook. Now, but if by some miracle this works, they can they can compete for a championship. But the reality is it's not going to work. They're, they're going to be a playoff team still. Because they're good players, and good players still make to the playoffs. They still go to the playoffs. They'll still be they'll still be a playoff team, but they're going to be 
eliminated really quickly in a in a really bad fashion. It's gonna be very. It's gonna be bad to watch how they go down in the playoffs. It's gonna be very upsetting, very saddening to see how they go down in the playoffs. For the last topic of the day, I'm gonna be talking about Ezekiel Elliott and his contract. And it's rumored that Ezekiel Elliott will perform a holdout if he does not get a new contract. And by a new contract, I think we all know what he means. He gets the bag. Whether or not he gets the bag. And now I, 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 I could talk about Ben Simmons getting his max extension. I could talk about that. But I've talked a lot of basketball for the past few months, past few days, past few weeks. So it's time for me to hop back onto the football. And what better way to talk about it than Ezekiel Elliott and finish it off with Ezekiel Elliott. Or start it off with Baker Mayfield and finish it off with Ezekiel Elliott. That's what I meant to say. That's what I meant to say. So we got to look at the pros and cons of giving Ezekiel Elliott a new contract. Big money. The pro is, it's a great run. he's a great running back, 23 years old. And he covers a lot of Dak's mistakes. He allows Dak to dink and dunk or dink and Dak for, for a while. With screens or little flats or something like that. What are the cons of giving him his contract? Well, you have annual trouble offseason. You have some sort of problem with the law every single offseason with Ezekiel Elliott. This year was with Las Vegas. Previous year was him pulling down a, a girl's shirt. Immaturity. Come on, guy. I mean, like, you know better than pulling down a woman's shirt. You know better than, you know, getting into a fight. You know better than that. You should know better than that. And ultimately, youth, youth, especially with running backs, don't last forever. They get injured eventually. And pretty badly. Todd Gurley. We don't know. He's pretty young. We don't know what's going on with him. Maybe it's some premature arthritis. Maybe it's something like that. David Johnson was out for a whole year. He's going to be great, but he's getting up there. He's... David Johnson's 27 years old. Zeke is 23 years old. But David Johnson already had a couple of injuries that completely ruined some of his seasons. Melvin Gordon, he was so close to getting to 1,000 yards, I think, a couple seasons ago. And he got injured right beforehand. But it all comes down to what would the Cowboys do? But I'm going to first give my opinion. What would I do if I were given the choice on giving him a new contract or not? Personally, you look at all good teams, they all have a good culture. You look, you look at the Patriots. Yes, Gronk has his moments of partying, but he never gets in trouble with the law. Never. Never. And as soon as something like that happens, like Josh Gordon, gone. Patriots dump him. So I think that that's what the Cowboys should do. They got to dump Ezekiel Elliott. They got to build that culture. You don't want to have these problems with the law. You, 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 in football, you want to be more and more quiet during the offseason. You, you typically want to be quiet as a team. As a team, you want to be quiet. And obviously, you don't want problems with the law in the future. You don't want that immaturity on your team. Dak is already mature. He is mature. But you don't want that immaturity of Ezekiel Elliott. As great as he is of a running back, you don't want that on your team. 
And then also in the future, he's he's probably gonna get injured. The wear and tear on running backs is insane. And maybe you don't have to pay Dak as much because now he doesn't have his mistakes all covered up. And believe it or not, running backs are I wouldn't say easy to find in the NBA, in the NFL draft, but it seems like a lot are popping up, a lot of good ones. And also, you don't really need a running back to really get to where you need to be. You, you look at some of the greatest running backs in, in NFL history. The Damian Tomlinson, Barry Sanders, they couldn't get on their own. LT, as great as he was, couldn't win on his own. Barry Sanders, as great as he was, couldn't win on his own. You look at modern-day NFL. It's really easy to replace these running backs. Le'Veon Bell, James Conner. You got DeMarco Murray with the Cowboys originally, and now you got, well, Zeke. You had AP, Adrian Peterson with the Vikings. Latavius Murray, then. You got all these different players that, all these different running backs that, as great as they are, they can be replaced. It probably won't be to the same level. It definitely won't be to the same level. Le'Veon Bell is far better than James Conner, but James Conner can do some of the things that Le'Veon Bell can do and get to that close to that production level. So personally, I would not give Ezekiel Elliott that contract. I would trade him. Make him some other team's problem. He's some other team's problem if I trade him. But now what will the Cowboys do in real life? They'll probably give him a contract. They probably will. And they'll probably play uh, pay Dak Prescott too. And it's all because they're in that we gotta win now mode. We gotta win now, guys. We need a great team. We need a great everything. We gotta stack the roster. But guess what? It's gonna work for maybe one season and then as soon as someone gets injured, boom, it's done. It's done. So I think the Cowboys are gonna give them that contract. And, and, and I'm okay with that, but I just think that there's going to be some problems that they face yearly with with the law, with him being immature. And I think that as soon as he gets mature, it's going to be too late. He, he's he's going to be immature, immature, immature. And then all of a sudden he's going to be mature. And then he's going to get injured and it's going to be far too late for him to actually get that contract. If he, if he was mature, if he was mature, didn't have these problems with the law, it's super easy for me to say, boom. Here's a new contract. Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon. No problems with the law. Great running back. Still a bit young. Has Philip Rivers right there. You you want to win now. Boom. Give him, give him that contract. Give him it. Give him it. No questions asked. Give him that contract. But Ezekiel Elliott. Problems with the law. Immature. Still, still a good young running back. But are they really close to winning now? Not Not really. So I would say, don't give him the contract. But the Cowboys probably will. Thank you for listening to the G-Truth, the one only good truth with your host, myself, Giovanni Canales. Be sure to like and subscribe if you're listening to this on YouTube, on my channel, Gio Canales. You can look it up on YouTube. And also be sure to subscribe or follow this podcast on your favorite podcasting app. And be sure to stay tuned and return whenever I upload another podcast. It's going to be probably weekly. But be sure to stay tuned in. And thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Peace out.